Welcome to The Chill Factory, where we make work, school, people, and life easier to deal with. I'm Jordan Friedman. One of my favorite memories is the release of a new Greatest Hits album. Wow, all of the best songs of a favorite artist or band in one place. It was like 45 minutes of heaven over and over again. And what do you think the all-time best-selling Greatest Hits collection in the world is? Madonna's Immaculate Collection. And today on The Chill Factory, I've got an immaculate collection of conversation clips from our first 20 episodes. They are clips that gave me inspiration or produced real aha moments or provided perspective or just taught me something important that I didn't know before. And like a real Greatest Hits album, they don't include all of the great things said by all of our guests, but you can always go back and listen to all episodes of The Chill Factory wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, I've got my DJ table set up here on The Chill Factory floor, so let's go all the way back to episode one called Should You Stay or Should You Go? I talked with my guest, the always motivating career and leadership coach, Kathy Caprino, about how lots of people were thinking about or changing their jobs and considering how to incorporate their passions into what they were going to do next. And of course, Kathy had great insights on these topics. Well, you know, if money were no object, what would you want to do? And that doesn't mean you're going to head off and do it. It means to look for the why beneath that. So I can't tell you how many people have said, I want to run a bed and breakfast, or I want to write a book. I want to write a best-selling book, or I want to be a motivational speaker, they'll call it that. So when these people are my clients or course members, I'll say, okay, let's talk about this book that you want to write. Let me just explain something. Writers write. Whether they're working in corporate life or run their own business, real writers write. So what is it that you want to write? And let's get going on it. So maybe it's an outline. Maybe it's a children's book, and you're going to start with the first three pages. Maybe it's a blog. But dancers dance. Designers design. They find a way to do it. And why that's so important is it changes you in the process of it. So as you said, you're dipping your toe in the water. You're not going to chuck your whole career and become a singer in the band. No. Uh, But... Um, you know, join a singing group, join, uh, take a singing, take a class, put your toe in the water. When you do that, you become braver and more powerful. We need more bravery to bring forward who we really are and what we care about. And that creativity uh, changes us. And we become more confident when we are bringing those talents forward. But there's this other prong I want to talk about. I think people might look at you and might look at me and say, I want your life. And they think it's because we live in the realm of passion. But I think what people need to understand is, yes, for instance, I am supremely fulfilled in the work I do, but it's work. You know, it's not just speaking on podcasts and webinars and writing a Forbes blog. You know, there's, there's work, there's business development, there's getting new clients, there's marketing copy, there's launching new products. So am I passionate every minute of the day? No. Some of it is just straight on work. Uh, So I, I want people to understand that sometimes they look at outcomes, what people are putting out and say, I want their life, but they're only seeing the tip of the iceberg. 
We did an episode just before Thanksgiving called You Voted for Who? And as you might guess, it focused on how to deal and respond to family members and friends who have very different political and social views from you. And I love this episode because New York City clinical psychologist Amanda Baden gave us actual words we can use in these situations. One of the things that I think is most important to think about any conflict you have with someone you care about is you have to decide, do you want this relationship to continue? Do you feel like there's a way to navigate this so that you can continue to have closeness, still respect each other, all of those things? Because the answer to that question could kind of determine what strategy you take. One of the things I think is most helpful, though, Jordan, is that we have choices. We don't it's not like we don't have any way we can respond to this. We can always choose to ignore what's been said that bothers us. We could also choose to confront it very directly. And we can choose to have do something like asking someone who you think would be an ally for you to help support you in your process. So I'll say my first tips are to approach with empathy. Empathy is so important. And it also helps us to understand what the other person is experiencing. Because if we approach with judgment, then it means we're not going to hear each other. And so it's going to be kind of a pointless exercise. Can you give an example of what that might look like practically approaching the situation or the response with empathy? So some people, when they're listening, they're only thinking about where they can make their argument and where they can find a hole in the other person's argument. They're not listening to just try and make sure they understand what the other person is saying. For example, if someone is talking about how they really don't agree with some mandates that are going on, or they think that one political party is not behaving the way they should, an empathetic response could be something like, wow, it sounds like it's been really hard for you to hear all this. And I'm wondering how you perceive other people feeling about it. Another way to show your understanding is, so Uncle Pete, tell me what you mean by that, because I'm, I'm trying to understand what's bothering you about it. As you can see, like this style can breed more calm exchanges, more respectful listening, instead of volatile chaos where we're trying to prove we're right. You know, some of these conflicts happen because people don't like to admit they're wrong. Be yourself. It's probably the number one piece of advice you hear from self-help experts and motivational speakers and influencers like Oprah. So we did an episode called Be Yourself. It's better for your health. And we went one better than Oprah and talked with William Aruda, the personal branding guru of the world, about personal branding and how it can help us be happier. Okay, so if someone wants to start working on their personal brand, they want to bring more of themselves into their work life. How do they start? What should they think about? Is it is it saying, okay, well, I like toys. I'm going to do what Brandy did. Or, or, yeah, Oprah's popular. She's great. I'm going to start walking into meetings saying hello. <laughs> okay, what, what, what should we do? Yeah, well, so so the thing is, it's not to copy, right? And certainly, you know, Oprah's got her thing and it works for Oprah. 
and everyone else has their thing and they may not know what it is. So the, the first step in the personal branding process is all about self-reflection. It's really about thinking about who are you, uh, what makes you great and why should people care, right? So you focus on things like your values uh, because when you can align your values with what you do and how you do it, uh, you're energized and you're motivated. It's about your superpowers. What do you do better than anyone else and how do you give yourself permission to bring those superpowers to every single task that you do at work every day? Uh, it's about your differentiators, the thing that things that make you stand out, whether or not they're relevant to the job that you have, right? You might work in the English language all day, but you speak five languages. That's interesting. That's differentiating, bringing that to work, right? So it, it's a lot of self-reflection to figure out who you are, what's important to you, um, how do you like to do what you do, and then to rethink, you know, your every day and ask yourself, how do I integrate more of me into all of this? And what you find at the end of that is you, you actually uh, are, are freed up uh, to, to really focus on things and you're, and you, things come out better because you're integrating your, your, you know, your secret sauce and your superpowers into them. And, and all of a sudden, you know, your perspective at work changes a little bit. And uh, that little bit is enough uh, to really have an impact on, on, you know, how you feel every day. Ah, digital minimalism. That was the title of episode nine, where we went to Los Angeles to talk with writer and filmmaker Robin Koppel, not about reducing screen time, but how to up the quality of our digital experiences. I still use ideas and concepts that Robin talked about during this episode, including one that we came up with a name for here. What does digital minimalism mean to you? To me, I just take it as an extension of minimalism, which a lot of us know slightly more about, which is just being very um, intentional with the things you choose to surround yourself with in your life, cutting out clutter, and it the net result of that seems to be a, a lightening and a, a, a fresh, crisp feeling about how you walk through life. Digitally, though, because I feel like we all spend so much of our lives in the digital space at this point that... Our digital experiences imprint themselves onto how we live in the world, I suppose. So I always take it as that intentional mindset applied to your digital life, which means apps you haven't used, apps that, if you really think about it, spend more time making your life worse and more sad than, than they do enriching it, and just being intentional about your process, how you walk through your digital experience, like your email and the things you focus on with your phone, your computer, your iPad, whatever it is, just making sure it's the things that bring value and don't do the opposite. Apps that drag you down. We may have to do a separate show titled yes. Apps That Drag You Down. <laughs> Worried About My College Kid is the most listened to episode to date, and I'm very happy about this because depression and suicide among college students, as well as other groups, has been skyrocketing over the past 15 years. And I was so lucky to be able to talk with one of the most qualified people about this subject. Todd Sevig is the Director of Counseling at the University of Michigan, and he gave us words we can use and things we can do in the face of the 
this very challenging issue. Todd, I also wanted to have you on because over the past few weeks, I've seen Jamie Raskin, who's the representative from Maryland, on TV, and he's been talking about his new book, which in great part details his son's suicide while in law school just over a year ago. And they talked about his son's depression, and his son was treated for depression, but they never uttered the word suicide. And I wonder if you have any thoughts or advice on when or how to bring up suicide, because it's such a sensitive and traumatic topic. Yes, yeah. I really appreciate you bringing up the question. It's uh, it's very difficult for, for all of us to, to talk about it, um, including us as mental health professionals. Uh, deaths by suicide are one of the most painful things in life to navigate. There are a couple different things. If it starts to feel like that, or if you have a sense that that may be going on. And I'm a big fan of this. And what I'm going to say is hard, but doable. It doesn't roll off the tongue, and it's also doable. And it's simply this to ask directly the question, is it so bad that have you thought about suicide? Have you thought about harming yourself? Most students will answer when asked, but most students are not going to bring that up unless they're asked. And it can be scary to receive the answer, yes, I have thought about it. But what I have tried to promote, especially the last 10 years, and we have a specific program on campus that we've been promoting for this very reason, Jordan. Uh, So we encourage uh, friends, roommates, faculty members, um, staff on campus uh, to, to ask the question. And I know it's scary as all get out. Believe me, I know. Uh, I know from personal experience as well as professional because we're afraid of the answer. But what research shows, and what I can speak as a psychologist, as a clinician from clinical experience, is that when we ask that, it it actually creates some relief, both in the student as well as the situation, and then you will know what to do. It's a fact. We're all growing older. So during episode 13 of The Chill Factory, called Chill Aging, we talked with health and wellness coach and economist Ellen Kocher about some of the key things to think about as our lives progress. As we do get older, what are some of the big headlines we should pay attention to? What are some of the key things we should be thinking about in in your opinion and because of your experience? Interesting the way you said it, Jordan, because you said getting older and we actually don't use getting older, we use growing older. And your question was about the sort of the key things that we should be focusing on to make growing older easier and more enjoyable. What I've observed is that people that are over 50 or sometimes over 40 only um, no longer take their health as much for granted. 
they're more conscientious, more willing to take care of themselves. And what we've noticed is that as people are older, we actually finally take the time to take care of ourselves. And it's reassuring to be physically capable to have good health. It builds our confidence, it builds our, builds our capability. Actually, I was 52 years old and I did this race that was more than 32 kilometers of effort. And it went over, it was about a six hour race. It was the, one of the most empowering things I did. When you feel physically capable as you age, it makes you feel empowered. So that's the first thing that people should be thinking about, and they do. It's one of those shakeups. And the second thing was finances. And it's interesting because it's not about being rich. It's not just about having enough money for retirement, but it's about opening up our conversations and understanding that our, our finances, it helps us glide through those older years with ease again, confidently and enjoyably, because you can't, you can't enjoy life if you are worried that you're not going to eat at the end of the month. So I'm still amazed about how many people, especially women, statistically, it's amazing, um, but not only women, are in denial about their financial situation. They've kind of got their head in the sand, and it's still pretty taboo to talk about finances, um, where a serene, you know, a calm, knowledgeable, focused positioning to finance gears us up for less stressful times. We're almost at the last cut of this best of episode, but it's definitely not the least best. I'm guessing that one of your stressors is other people and what they say and do or what they don't say and what they don't do. It's a stressor for most of us, and it's why I love this episode called Understanding Trauma to Make Life Easier. My guest, Mary Dino, who's a licensed clinical social worker and who's been working in the field of trauma-informed care for 30 years, so clearly and compellingly talked about trauma, its impact, and how we're often unaware of it, and more specifically, things we can do to help ourselves and others who have experienced trauma to make life easier. If we exercise, if we eat well, if we get good sleep, these are certainly going to help our physical selves and they also help our mental and spiritual selves. If we can meditate, this is going to increase our capacity to, to manage and tolerate discomfort. This is where we're going to open ourselves up to wisdom and ideas beyond what our everyday perceptions are like. If we can honor ourselves enough that we feel and practice self-care in a way that's intentional, these are the things that are going to be able to get us to grow through those storms and the trauma and even manage the ups and downs of everyday life in ways that help us to grow as people. Beautifully and clearly said. And yes, these are the roots that help the tree stay in the ground when storms come along. Another way that we can really get through these really difficult social experiences that we are you know, mired in right now at this point in time is to consider how we can be of service to others, right? It can be really one of the best remedies for personal malaise and suffering. 
you know, when we think about the roots of a tree, we think about those big roots, but there's also lots and lots of little roots that, that the tree also has that are helping it to absorb those nutrients and to, to stay stable, right? So any interaction with any individual person that, that's kind, that's generous, is also part of, of, of taking care of others. So it might be volunteering at an organization. It might also be just the way we do our everyday interactions with people. This last clip is actually music because it's from episode 12 called Soothing Music Man, where we talked with accomplished musician and composer Adi Goldstein about his new ambient album. We'll go out with this track called Slumber Party. It's not from that album, but it is one of the most popular tracks on the Chill Factory app, which you can get by listening to a previous episode. I'm Jordan Friedman. Thanks so much to all of our guests on this best of edition and on every episode of The Chill Factory. And of course, thank you for listening. We have more resources at thechillfactory.net and you can leave a voice, comment, or question there. Just look for the blue tab on the right side of any site page. And if you liked something you heard on this episode or any episode, we'd love it if you starred or reviewed the show wherever you get your podcasts.